Section 66, Killing a Killer Feature in Outlook, again. We don't market the features that didn't make it into the release, me, when we cut a feature. Jeff R., Jeff Rakes, my new manager and executive vice president, sent me a note. LIS, wow, the story just gets worse and worse. Let's kill it. He pushed to resolve this festering issue and suggested a meeting with Bill G. This would be the second time we cut this feature, having shipped Office 2000 without it. It was December 2000. In a hastily arranged lunchtime meeting, a Bill G. must was to always have a hot lunch at noon, we sat in the boardroom where we normally met with him. It was a deeply technical meeting, the kind he liked. There were senior people from Exchange, Outlook, and the company experts on data storage that have been meeting as part of Bill's project to improve the storage strategy. The meeting was to decide whether or not to abandon the work on LIS, or the local information store, the feature of Outlook and Exchange. The meeting was very tense. The broad view was this, this feature was absolutely key to competing with IBM Lotus Notes. The Exchange Platinum release was late with an uncertain ship date. Office 10 was less than three months from being complete, and the code was essentially frozen. After a tense hour that ran over, Bill said he would think about it, leaving everyone in a state of limbo. It was unusual for him to not reach a conclusion immediately. That meant he was either going to take an unpopular stance, perhaps trying to keep the feature alive, or he knew it was pl a pretty grim situation and was going to avoid confrontation in the room. Counter to what many believed, Bill did not like to get involved in binary decisions that leave little room for optionality or win-win outcomes. An hour later, he sent mail saying it was a difficult decision, but I am for killing it because less than 5% of the customers would end up using it. That conclusion was based on the state of the feature as presented. What followed was the rollout of a brutal cut, which included drafting mails for another month, communication with the field sales group, and removing dependencies on the code. This recounting made the process straightforward, but in fact, it was one of the most challenging last-minute product changes I ever experienced. Going through this surfaced many of the most difficult product strategy and cross-company execution challenges Microsoft of the era exhibited. During the meeting with Bill, I was not worried or concerned. I was frustrated, and that almost certainly showed. There was no need to have this meeting. The feature basically cut itself. There were no options other than delaying products for a year to complete this feature. There was the physics of shipping software. Even though the classic by Frederick P. Brooks, the mythical man month, was over 25 years old and found on every Microsoft engineer's bookshelf, when decisions made it to the executive ranks, especially when they involved cross-group strategic initiatives, the lessons from the book were forgotten. Bill would ask if we could allocate more resources from either team to speed things up, we all knew that there was neither the expertise nor the available resources to do that. Plus, we all knew what the mythical man month said about that. The bearing of a child takes nine months, no matter how many women are assigned. The online version includes a section from the mythical man month. Bill would offer suggestions on how we could scale back on some of the features or scenarios in order to require less work. We had been doing that for months. The feature had been scaled back so far that even if we shipped what we discussed at the meeting, it would not have moved the needle on competing with notes. Quite the contrary, it would have disappointed. Bill would say it would be acceptable to simply add some more time to the schedule, perhaps three months. Physics of shipping this amount of software meant that three months was hardly any time at all. Given all the work to test, stabilize, and for servers getting feedback from customers, adding three months was about the same as adding a few weeks of engineering at best. Besides, even without this feature, Exchange Platinum would likely not ship until the end of 2000. 
Office 10 was all but complete, and reopening the patient, as we said, was not an option. It was just physics. There was something about how the company was working that we permitted ourselves to go through the sort of exercise when there really weren't any options. Generously, it was a process to come to grips with the difficult failure to deliver. Alternatively, it was a way of spending energy exploring options that didn't really exist anyway. That's why I was frustrated. It was decision theater. The bottom line was that it, we didn't deliver and there was no rescue mission. There are times when these meetings can yield a new outcome. Projects have constraints, and if Bill or anyone in a position to do so could relax some constraints, the broadly defined trinity of ship date, features, or quality, then there is a new path to take. Usually teams that forego examining and changing these assumptions on their own tend to have other problems as well. Shipping software is managing the trinity and adjusting along the way, not blindly following constraints that aren't working. What was this feature and why was it so important? LIS was a new way to store all the email on, on a PC. This, of course, seems crazy today because no one wants mail on their PC where it could be lost or stolen or worse. LIS was a new model of email where the PC would maintain a copy of the mail that was on the server and sync the copies with the server. This made it possible to work without an internet connection while also enabling a rich level of capabilities to build apps on top of email that ran locally on the PC. This replicated storage was a key feature of Notes. Underlying the feature was a new data storage architecture. Here's the challenge. This model of software requires code on the PC with the exact same capabilities as code on the server in order to realize all of these benefits. Notes accomplished this with a smart architecture designed from the start. Exchange and Outlook evolved without one, and we were trying to retrofit much, a much more elegant architecture on top of Exchange. To do so would have required building a PC-based system with the same capabilities as the one running on big servers, but able to run with PC-level hardware and not the much faster and more capable server hardware. The result? Even by December of 2000, LIS and Office 10 was very best case, 20% or more slower than Outlook 2000 and required a high-end PC. No one was accusing Outlook 2000 of being speedy, so this was a significant negative. There were many other features that were slated to be delivered. Some of them were highly requested by customers. One, for example, was the ability to store email using a new Unicode character set, so one email storage file could easily have mail from any language. One feature that might be strange or poorly architected was that LIS was going to make it possible to connect from Outlook to the mail server using the web protocol HTTP and not the Windows networking protocol. And this was really important for scalability and security. LIS aimed to provide a badly needed search capability that Outlook completely lacked. Another was the ability to store more than two gigabytes of email on a PC. This too might sound crazy, but the cost of storing email on servers was so expensive that most exchange customers were limiting email to 25 to 100 megabytes. Yes, megabytes. The rest of the email could be stored in a separate file that existed only on a PC. The implications of such an architecture were that Outlook needed to be unbelievably rock solid and never ever damage that mail storage file. Any bugs or fragility in the code might mean a customer would lose all their mail permanently, forever. The idea of inserting an entire new data storage format into the product at this late hour bordered on crazy. Developing this feature was never going to be easy. It was another case of two major products with different processes, approaches to work, and schedules trying to align. 
Kurt Delmany, email Kurt D, was always calm and a great partner with the exchange team led by Gord Mangione, email Gord M. But the tension over this work was palpable the entire release. The two products, while built by separate teams, were inescapably linked. Microsoft's email strategy relied completely on both teams delivering an integrated product while also serving another larger strategy. Exchange was working with Active Directory, Outlook as part of Office. The bet was even bigger for Office beyond Outlook. We had made a major bet on delivering Office and Exchange for corporate groupware as a significant and first pillar of our vision. While our vision process was still new, this was the second time we used it, the idea of losing a whole top-level focus area really hurt. In addition to Outlook, Office created a new tool with a whole team of engineers called Designer, specifically for end users to create applications like those in Notes. It was to be the cornerstone of competing with Notes. Without LIS, there was no designer. The work of that team would not ship at all. The online version includes the Office 10 vision overview with the first priority Office and Exchange for corporate groupware. The marketing team briefed important customers about the whole set of LIS deliverables, including this feature. Notes compete and the new designer product. There was a lot of excitement. It is easy to generate excitement with slides and mock-ups, especially when it made closing big exchange deals easier. Unwinding that excitement was brutally painful. Each customer meeting was incredibly difficult for the account team and sets of relationship and businesses back a lot. Immediately, discussions turned to potentially turning to IBM for a solution to collaboration. Customers were tuned to escalate these failings straight to Steve Ballmer, who in turn would ask again if there was anything we could do or he could say or offer. There was nothing. It was physics. The field hated physics. Customers did not understand physics. The press equated missing features with vaporware, software that never really existed except to muddy the competitive waters. How could Microsoft, the largest company in the world with the best software engineers and most resources, not deliver? What did it mean for the future? The online version includes an October 9th, 2000 article in InfoWorld about LIS, which all took place before the cut. There were no answers, easy or otherwise. One way to say this simply was, we failed to deliver. The lesson was not, however, as simple as a failure to execute. Israeli military postmortems remind soldiers that there are no failures in battle, only failures in intelligence. In software, failing to deliver was not a failure in writing code, but a failure in planning what code to write and how to write it. We were still planning products like the primary audience were retail customers or hobbyists, who were more than happy to work through messy details, wait a little longer, or have some bugs as long as there was new stuff. Enterprise customers with their huge spend, multi-year planning horizons, and five to 10-year usage plans were in no position to absorb this attitude. We failed to plan, so our plans failed. It took most of holiday season 2000 to make rounds with customers and all the teams to let them know we had cut the feature. The reactions across the company were varied depending on the team. The different cultures make quite an appearance at times like this. The office team already knew the feature would be cut by the time we told them it was official. More than anything, they wondered why it took so long for Kurt and me to admit it. Finally, what they knew to be the case. Even our marketing team was somewhat relieved that this simplified our message on collaboration to just SharePoint and our email message to only exchange, without any redundancy. The designer team, a whole new team, took it in stride, as they knew it wasn't coming together. I don't want to downplay the stress or strain on the individuals who committed an entire product cycle to this work. It was not their fault. They were at the receiving end of this failure. 
The exchange team was in a different state of mind. They tended to see things through the lens of office decommitting at best, or at worst, office was never committed, perhaps even sabotaging the product. When a consumer of a dependency cuts a feature, it is often perceived as though they never really believed or somehow did not try any evidence to the contrary. The presence of what was seen as a backup plan, SharePoint for collaboration, only makes it seem as though there was a plan all along to fail. Exchange had a right to be anxious because they owned the Notes Compete story, and this was a blow. It would take another couple of years, but Exchange would handily win in the market. The idea of building applications moved to the browser as quickly as customers decided they simply needed great email and scheduling more than an applications platform, and Exchange Plus Outlook was superior. Competing with Notes by 2000 was skating to where the puck was. There was no escaping that the wounds were deeper on the Exchange team. Cutting LIS surfaced years later in a story highlighting Microsoft's perceived morale difficulties. In the story in Forbes magazine, Microsoft's midlife crisis, a former exchange engineer was quoted, they sent me a 200-page document that said our technology had to be 100% better than the current stuff. Then it failed, of course, so they did it themselves. The Outlook team would say, and did, that it just needed to be the same, not four or five times slower and bigger. Nothing was easy, and when it doesn't work, and when failure is poorly managed, people can remember the worst parts in the worst way as they seek accountability. The online version includes this Forbes article from 2005. The theme was a flat stock price and the company turning 30. There were hundreds of technical account managers who were anxious to begin to build notes-like applications who reacted horribly to the cut. To them, this was another case of Redmond not understanding what customers needed and worse, failing to deliver what we said we would deliver. In the field where salespeople have quota that they make or not, where general managers either make their numbers or find new companies to work for, failing to deliver what was promised was a first-order failure. I attributed much of the enthusiasm and support of SharePoint for collaboration and notes compete to a lack of an exchange story. The enterprise team in marketing spent the better part of the next six months smoothing over each country and market one at a time. Bill was disappointed, of course. Something he always did extremely well was bounce back from these setbacks and not put the team or leaders in any sort of penalty box. I previously shared the story of AFX, my first project, and how we wasted a year and got nothing done while Steve Jobs' next computer was on the rise. Bill was anxious then, as he was now, and in a similar way. Was there anything we could do sooner, more people, or a little more time? I bounced back. We bounced back. In this case, it is fair to say Bill redoubled his efforts on the major project of the early 2000s, data storage. In his eyes, the failure of LIS only made it more critical to solve the company's storage problems. We held a big meeting in the atrium and announced the cut to the whole Outlook team. Everyone knew this was a formality. As we were easing the team into the final decision, I thought of Andy Grove's Only the Paranoid Survive. In the book, he recounts the long process it took to come to grips with the need for Intel to exit the DRAM business, only to come to understand the middle managers had long ago realized what was inevitable and made resource allocation choices in that direction. It was as if Grove was the last to really know. The team knew. We all knew. It just took a while to get there. It was the physics of cross-group collaboration, not just the physics of software. A final reminder to the team was that we don't market features that didn't make it into the release. No one was going to know there was something we did not do. In fact, the list of things we did not do was infinite. We did what we did, and it was going to be great. 
I learned a lesson, again, about pre-committing to customers when basic engineering prudence says otherwise. With LIS out of the way and Watson streamlining development, we were on a path to ship. We were feeling good. Like the end of every project, we were in a period where most people came to work and did nothing but make sure no one else did something rash. For a change, this holiday was going to be enjoyable and free from any project time crunch. Cutting is shipping. We prove that once again. Countdown to RTM, blast off, and 3201. At least I thought so. <laughs>